All right, May 2-4 is really about beer. Who knew? Okay, happy Victoria's Day's birthday, but I've been enlightened by our worship leader that it's about beer. I did not know. What does that say about our church? But that's a whole other story. All right. Okay, where do we go with here? Well, what I want to start off with is actually saying it's actually, uh, this is really the crazy season. I went to Walmart on Friday or Saturday. What a dumb thing to do. It was like Christmas Eve in there. Everybody's shopping. I'm always amazed by people that go shopping for a long weekend thinking, did you not know the long weekend was coming and you have to go shopping now? Like, (laughs) so you're on your way to the cottage. Where's the surprise? But it's like we all just kind of forget. We just, oh, yeah, I need to go and get something to go to the cottage. Huh. What a shock. So they were all there at Walmart, and it's like, no, 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 no. I have this down planned, how much time it's going to take, and you're all messing up my schedule. And anyway, so it's a busy season. People are all buying their gardening stuff, and, you know, they're doing all that kind of thing. And for those of us that have yards that keep seeming to get bigger every year, and the trees get bigger, and the branches get more, and the grass gets weedier. I mean, man, I remember the days of chemicals. You could just bomb your lawn. It killed everything, and the grass grew. It was easy. You just sprayed it. I mean, we had three-headed fish in the river, but who knew, you know? It was just a coincidence. Everything else died. The birds were all dead in the front lawn. But hey, man, we had grass. Now you have to go out and dig the stuff by hand. Are you kidding me? Anyway, so you you get the idea that this weekend is just kind of like, oh, i got so much to do. And at the same time, we're trying to relax. So we're getting really busy so that we can go and relax. And anyway, on top of all that, we have family get-togethers. Our family was all together last week. They left on Tuesday. There is Lego still under every couch in the family room downstairs. It's a great thing, vacuuming, because you get to see it flying into the little suctionless, you know, the little bagless thing. You can see the Lego spinning around, and you get to pick it out later on. Anyway, we were all together. I think there was like 20 of us, and now they're gone. It's a little bit quieter, but just in case we thought we'd get bored, my sister asked if we could host a party at our house this afternoon. So I said to her, how many people are you expecting? She said, oh, 35. That means all the Lego has to get vacuumed before they come over and all that kind of stuff. So weekends. This weekend, we're trying to work outside. We're trying to relax. We're trying to go to the cottage. We're trying to do this. And on top of the things we normally do, there's just the regular stuff that happens. There's stuff you volunteer for, uh, sound equipment set up at church. That doesn't go away. I kind of wondered if there was anybody going to be here. Like at 1025, there was... Fleming's at the front door, and there was a few other people, but it was just very quiet in here. The sound worship team, they were all here, but not very many people, so I'm glad you all came. But it is, um, it is interesting, all the things that we can get really involved in. Sometimes they all merge together. It's the season for me where there's a whole bunch of stuff that's happening, and it seems to be all together. It's all merging together. And There are moments where in all of that, I can feel like just I can't get all this done. I think we all get those places where we feel tired, we feel overwhelmed. I'm not quite sure why this is, but when we feel overwhelmed, when we get frustrated, we usually pick on the one that's closest to us. Like, I don't know why, but we just get mad at our spouse, and it's like, I'm not sure why we do that, but it just seems like I've got to get mad at somebody, and maybe that's where the proverbial kick the cat scenario came from, but I don't think people say that anymore because you probably get imprisoned for kicking the cat. It's a dumb thing to do anyway, but... Anyway, sometimes I think we all hit those points where it just feels like a huge wave hits us and we don't know where we are. We're just overwhelmed with it. 
life circumstances happen, and there, there's the unusual things like we have on a weekend like this, but there's the day-to-day things. We had a small business and uh, closed it a few years ago, and every time I drive by a small business these days, I just look and, and I wonder how the owners are doing. It's such a struggle just to keep going, and I just kind of wonder how they're, how they're doing. And I think of people that are parenting little kids and watch some of you as you parent your little kids and think that ours are older now, and it's really not that bad that they're older because when their kids go, it's back to the old folks at home again, and it's a little bit simpler. But on top of that, there's, there's things like deaths. A, a guy that I started at work here in Ottawa just 40 years ago just dropped dead a couple weeks ago, and it's like, ooh, he was my age. Just went out to the car and was gone. Those are things that they happen. We all know they're going to happen, but we're not in control of when they happen. We don't know when they're going to happen. We don't know what's, what it's going to be like. And um, on top of that, there's situations like divorce and job loss. There's illness. There's the weight of debt that we're carrying and just expectations and, and people having to move in a week and paint houses. And it just builds up and it just builds up. So no matter how hard I try in situations like this, and I'm speaking for all of us, but I'll say me, I can't control it all. I can't conquer it. Just kind of holding on, not really in control, and really scared because I'm not in control. So if I'm not in control, who is? There's an expression that, some of these expressions get old, but there's an expression we used to say, sound like my mom now, but we used to say, carrying the weight of the world upon your shoulders. It's a good expression. just feels like, man, the weight is just so high. The question I want to ask this morning is, where do you and I go for our strength? Many people, and I work with some of them at Jericho Road and other places like that, they turn to addictions because they just can't handle the weight of the world. So they turn to things that are just going to temporarily satisfy, but they don't satisfy. They actually compound the problem, and so we need more and more and more. So they turn to alcohol, drugs, sex, and things like that, and it just it doesn't satisfy. So there's a lot of false strengths, but they all fade away. Where do we actually go to find true strength when we feel overwhelmed? Even sometimes when we think we're going to the right source and we cry out to God and we wonder, where is he? And there are moments we just don't know where God is from our perspective. One of the disciples of Jesus, I really like him. He's just so relatable. His name's Peter. And he was a fisherman, and the culture of the time in the New Testament was fishermen were kind of the uh, construction workers. I, I, I don't really, I don't know how to say this. I think I just offended somebody in the crowd here, uh, Daniel. I didn't mean it that way, but the, they, they were, you're, you're a nice one. But some of the fishermen, they were kind of the rougher crowd, if you know what I mean. They were the ones that would say the wrong words, and, and just, they were tough. They were tough men. So it's interesting that Jesus calls a fisherman, I think it was the first disciple he actually calls, is Peter, and he's a fisherman. And it's just kind of known in the crowd that, wow, that is a rough, rough group there. And so Jesus calls Peter, and he becomes one of his disciples, and he was a fisherman. He knew all about waves, he knew all about the sea, he knew all about boats, he'd done this for a living, you know, it's just kind of like, yeah, no problem. So he starts following Jesus, and he has no idea what's going on when he starts following Jesus. I mean... First of all, John the Baptist gets beheaded. It's like, whoa, what's going on here? And then on top of that, Jesus starts healing people. 
Like he's amazed, he's following this guy, but Jesus starts healing people. And then the next thing that happens is Jesus, there's, there's a whole crowd, and Jesus says, hey, go get him something to eat. And it's like, Jesus, there's no food here. Yeah, I know. Just uh, go and feed them. And the miracle of 5,000 happens. So Peter's processing this thinking, what? what have I signed up for? I'm sure he must have because I don't know what's happening. I'm intrigued. I'm following this, but I don't know what's happening. It's amazing. I love it. But in spite of all that he has been through, in spite of all of his expertise as um, a fisherman, as a boatman, he was absolutely not prepared for what was coming next. And some of you will know exactly what's coming next. Others of you, let me just tell you. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew 14. There's 11 verses that I'm going to read. So Matthew 24, verses 22 to 33. Immediately after this, which is the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting the heavy seas. About three o'clock in the morning... Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In fact, in their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it is really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat, walked on the water toward Jesus, But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why do you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. The disciples worshipped him, saying, You are really the Son of God, they explained. Or they exclaimed. We, when we had our Christian bookstore, we sold all the little Bible stories. And most of us know Bible stories by the little picture stories that we saw. And, you know, there's Jesus and he's walking on water. And we kind of know that part of the story. But I want to take you into the background of the story today. What does this really mean for you and me? What can we learn from the life of Peter that we can leave here today and think, yeah, there's more to the story than I I really thought. I mean, it's miraculous. It's incredible that he walked on water. But there's some key points that I want to bring up just that I think you will find, as I'm finding, encouragement for our day-to-day life. First, in verse 22, Jesus insisted that they get in the boat. Okay. We're fishermen. We can do this. It's kind of nighttime. But he insisted they get in the boat and cross to the other side. Well, the Sea of Galilee is actually below sea level. It warms, the water gets quite warm, and it's surrounded by very cold mountains. Uh, I think they're about 4,000 feet. So you get the cold coming down, and the warm sea creates violent gusts and storms and turbulence. So it's not uncommon for the sea to get very, very violent. So Jesus says, I want you to get in the boat. I insist you get in the boat and go to the other side. Did anybody follow Amber Hall? She's not here today, but anybody follow Amber Hall's Facebook scenarios at Freshco? 
So Amber and her kids are at Freshco a couple days ago when that crazy cloudburst came through, and all the plants start blowing away, so they all rescue the plants at Freshco. They're heroes. They post on Facebook, wet, all this kind of stuff. But there's this crazy, did you all get that? And We got a bit of it in Beckwith, but apparently in Carlton Place, you really got the real deal. So this violent wind comes and blows everything all around, and it's lifting. It's like, wow, there's a storm here somewhere. The sky is yellow. It, uh, it looks weird, and we're all just kind of wondering what's going on. Well, picture being in a sea, only it's black. You can't see anything. It's dark. And the waves are crashing over and the wind is howling. And it's not just for a few minutes like we get here. It's actually going crazy for hours and hours and hours. So Jesus sends them off. The sea is all good. But eventually they get off into this crazy sea. And Jesus, meanwhile, goes off and prays. So he's off in the silence of the hills. He's praying. And they're over there in the sea. And it's starting to get choppy. I want to ask you a question. Do you think Jesus was kind of unaware? Or what was he praying for? It's interesting that Scripture even says that Jesus prays for us today. What does he pray for? I think he prays that we'll be able to endure. I think he prays that our faith will be strong. I think he prays that we will be able to understand how he is in this and for us to know and to see all that he wants us to know and see. He was not unaware of what they were going to be going through. He had insisted they go out into the lake. He knew what was coming. So verse 24 goes on and says, So night falls. The disciples, Scripture says, are far away from shore. There's a strong wind. They're fighting these heavy seas. They're surrounded. They can't see anything but darkness and storm. All of us have those periods of time in our life where we can't see anything but darkness and storm. We can't see beyond the next wave. We're just in it, and it's like another one. And there's no end in sight. And if you're intuitive as a fisherman, you eventually begin to realize that in spite of all of my rowing, in spite of all of my efforts, in spite of me trying to be in control, I'm actually not in control at all. I'm getting further and further from land. And there's nothing that I can do to change this. So that feeling of absolute hopelessness is starting to overtake them. Verse 25 goes on and says, At 3 a.m., why 3 a.m.? Jesus comes walking on the water. So there they are. <laughs> I mean, you know, when we read the story, we think, Oh, they should have known it was Jesus. Are you kidding me? If I was in the Black Sea of Galilee and I'm, waves are crashing all around me, the wind is howling, I'm rowing like crazy, and all of a sudden I see this man walking toward me. Now, I don't know if there's any movie sets that have done this, but I know what a movie set would do. There would be Jesus, and he'd be in his white robe, perfect hair, and he'd just be walking like this. I don't think it was actually like that. I think Jesus' hair was probably all frizzed all over the place, and I think he was probably wet. I, I don't really know. I don't think it was probably still around him. I think he was just kind of walking up and down the waves, and they were like, what the heck? So they, they're terrified. I'd be terrified. And, and they're looking, thinking, is that, what is, that's, a, that's a ghost. I'd think it was a ghost. I wouldn't be expecting Jesus to come walking out in the water with me. So Jesus comes up to them. He speaks to them and says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. 
I want to pause the story right there. Because you know the next part. Peter hops out of the boat. We all know that part. And he's like, yeah, good for, good for you, Peter. Oh, Peter, a little faith. Are you kidding me? Peter, great faith. He got out of the boat. I'd be holding on for dear life. Probably puking over the sides of the boat. I mean, goodness. <laughs> Not me. I can't stand rides at Disneyland, let alone getting on a boat like that. So, so let's pause in the story for a minute here. 3 a.m. Why that time? The disciples are overwhelmed, they're despairing, they can't see anything but the storm. And I want to create that picture because there are times, and some of you may be going through it right now, that all you can see is the overwhelming darkness. When we were closing the store a few years ago, there was a night where Linda and I couldn't get through the night with the blackness we saw around us. There was no way out. It was hopeless. And we knew it. God had another plan, which he implemented. But at that point, we had no way. We had no way of changing our circumstances. We all get in those points. We sometimes get in health circumstances where I'm at the mercy of God and the doctors. I can't do a thing. I'm not in control. I can't do a thing. The disciples were overwhelmed. They were completely despairing. They were approximately nine hours of rowing and rowing and rowing in this crazy sea, fearing for their lives, probably remembering that Jesus said, no, no, I insist you get in the water here. I insist. The 3 a.m. is part of a Roman system of keeping time. It's called the fourth watch. And it represents a period of time where it's absolutely the darkest it can get. But the dawn will be coming and breaking. Isn't that interesting? So Jesus comes right at that moment. When it's the darkest, but the promise of dawn is coming. Jesus appears. And he says to them, don't be afraid. My heart would be pounding. I understand why their hearts are pounding. I'd be asking myself this, so let me personalize this. I don't know what they would say, but what I would say is like, is this really him? Could this, I mean, I've seen Jesus heal people. I've seen him make food, but could this Jesus I know do this? Could he really do this? Can I trust him? Is he really coming to help me? What's my backup plan? I don't have one. But I've got to trust him. I don't know if I can. I don't know him well enough to be able to trust him. So he comes and says, take courage. Interesting thing about that part of the story is in order for you to take something, somebody has to offer it to you. I hear a lot of talking today about me finding courage within myself. I can't generate courage enough to make it through life at times. Some of the things I can do. But when I'm totally overwhelmed by the waves and I'm totally overwhelmed by circumstances, I can't find any more courage. I'm out of it. So Jesus says, here, take it. So he's offering me courage. He's not telling me to find it. He's offering it to me. And an offer has to be received. So they had to receive what he was, ta- what he was saying. Take it. It's yours. They've exhausted all of their own strength. Not stated, Doug's paraphrase. He's probably looking at Peter. Peter, 
Do you give up yet? Is this enough for you? Are you overwhelmed? Ready to do it my way? Ready just to let go of everything? Ready to walk on water? So Peter, I love this. And this is the part of the story you know. I love this about Peter. Who in their right mind would say to this, okay, I think he's a ghost, but let's check him out. Tell me to come walking on the water. I wouldn't say that. Anybody here? Would, would any of you say that? Just like, oh, no. If that's really you, just tell me to walk on the water and I'll come and join you. I don't know why that came out of his mouth, but it did. And it's intriguing that it did. Because maybe the boat was always his safety and security in the past. And maybe he was prompt, being prompted to say, you know what, there's more than what I know. There's an unknown here. Let me hop out of what I know because it's not working and jump into the unknown and trust you. So Jesus says, yes, come. So Peter gets out, heads toward Jesus, sees the strong wind and the waves. I mean, I don't know why we give the guy a rough time, but he's terrified. I totally understand. The waves, all he can see, and I imagine just this giant wave comes over and he can't see Jesus. He hears the wind and it's like, what have I done? He's terrified and he starts to sink. This is what I, many things I love about Jesus But this next verse, just, I love it. He cries out, save me. Peter cries out, save me. I want to tell you that many, many times in my journey, I've come to the point where I've just said, Jesus, I need you to save me. Not from hell, not accepting Jesus as my personal Savior, but just save me. I can't make this. And I believe those are the sweetest words Jesus hears. Because he replies to to Peter and he says, immediately he reaches out and grabs him. There's something just so intimate about that with Jesus. He waited until Peter reached that point of absolutely, I cannot make it. Let's pause the story here. I have a really good friend. His name's John Ruby. He heads up a church plant in Ottawa for uh, primarily people in recovery. And his recovery really began the day all the people around him let him go. They quit enabling him. They quit giving him money. His wife kicked him out of the house and said, you're gone. You're on your own. I abandon you. It was a harsh thing to do, but he knows that it was a gift that God actually did to him. I think of any of the addicts that I've met All of them have reached this point where they have no way but God. They cannot do it. And my friend John reached that point. I'm a hopeless, helpless alcoholic. I've used everybody. I've screwed up every relationship. My wife and my mother have now said to me, we're no longer supporting you. And off he was sent. And he met God. He finally cried out to God and said, save me. I cannot do this myself. It's probably been 10 or 11 years. He's clean, never gone back in ministry today. But there was that intersection where he came to that point of realizing, I cannot save myself. I need you to save me. And Jesus is right there. Comes to him, comes to Peter, says, Peter, touches him, grabs him, holds on to him, and takes him back to the boat. Yeah. So the wind stops. 
Can I just go back to the part about Jesus praying while they're in the wilds of the, the waves? Can you just picture Jesus is praying and it's, he's praying, Father, I see the men in the boat, my disciples. I pray that they will see me and their faith will stay strong. These are actual styles of prayers that Jesus has recorded in the New Testament. So he's praying. Meanwhile, the disciples, they're over here and it's like... This is Filipino dancing, Doug style. And it's just overwhelming to them. And Jesus is over here praying. Now, when Jesus is here, do you picture a dispatch from heaven? Urgent Jesus, 911, 911, Sea of Galilee. There's a sea of boat. Uh, your, your men are drowning. Jesus, Jesus, over to Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. Do you think he was actually unaware? And all of a sudden he gets a dispatch like, oh, gotta go. And off he goes. Again, Filipino dancing. He comes over here and he decides, I'm going to take the express route because the boat isn't working well, and he walks on the water. I could really do a number with the sound, but I don't know what I'm doing here, so I'll get back over here. So, really, Jesus is over here, and he's praying to the Father, but he knows it's now time. They're going to be calling out to me shortly. I'm going to be ready for when they call. I love that about Jesus. He's not waiting until they're just earning. Did they earn this? Nothing. I love it about Jesus. He's just waiting for Peter, and he's waiting for them to cry out and say, save me. And he's there in an instant. Reaches out and grabs him and takes him to the boat, and the storm stops. Who but Jesus could do that? I want to relate that to our own stories. What would be the purpose of this scenario? Jesus is over here, and he says, guys, I insist that you get in that boat. Was there any surprise to Jesus that a storm was going to rise up? Was there any surprise that they were going to get overwhelmed? No. And he was waiting for them to call out and say, I need you. I need you, Jesus. I need you. It was no surprise to him. He was waiting for them to call out. The interesting part about this story is how it ends. They say for the first, they see for the first time, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You're the Son of Man. You are. And they worship him right there in the boat. I don't know how this works. I know that God is not some sort of sick God that says, yeah, what do we do now to your guys? What about a rocky boat ride? Peter will puke. Yeah, let's, let's try that one. We'll get that one. Really? What I do know is that there are scenarios in life where we are all going to die. Some of us are going to go through hardships in our families. Some of us are going to go through job losses. We're all going to go through them. Some of us are going to have disappointment. Some of us are going to have ill health. And some of us are going to have trees that fall down on our lawn and Things like that overwhelm us. It happens. It's a flawed world. But I don't think God just says, press the button and we're going to get you and we're going to get you. I think he knows the scenario. I know he knows the scenario we're going to go through. And he's just waiting for us to recognize how much we need him in that scenario. 
and how he's waiting for us to cry out to him. And I know sometimes you've cried out, and it's really disappointing because it's like, where is he? Kind of like Peter. Okay, Jesus, I see you. I get out in the boat, and it's like, whoa, I've lost my faith. Where was Jesus? He was just on the other side of the wave. And when Peter cries out, save me, Jesus is right there, puts his hand on his shoulder, grabs him, and puts him back in the boat. All of this was designed to be a life-changing moment for the disciples. It wasn't just a neat story. It was to show them who he was and who they were. What did Peter learn? When he jumped out of the boat, he recognized his own weaknesses, his own fears. In every scenario we go through, God wants to take us to a place by his Holy Spirit where he allows his spirit to probe inside and say, what's going on inside? Why the doubt? Why the fear? What's happening? And if we will take those moments, we will be transformed. Every situation becomes a Peter moment. When we allow his Holy Spirit to come and just say, Father, I don't know what's going on. I don't know where you are. And I have literally prayed these prayers. I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on. I've trusted myself this far and gotten nowhere. I've rode for nine hours and I'm going backwards. I'm afraid to risk trusting you because I've never trusted anybody. But I don't have anybody else to trust. No one else can save me. Save me. Save my marriage. Save my kids. Save my home. Save my job. Whatever it is you're carrying, I cannot save this. But I'm coming to you and asking you, save me. We're just about done. But I started off with a story about our store, and some of you know it, some of you don't. I don't think I've ever shared it here at the church. In that very darkest day, it was middle of January, two and a half years ago, or three and a half years ago, or something like that. You know the way I'm with the announcements and numbers and stuff like that. <laughs> Who knew? Oh, yeah, by the way, Nancy Fleming said, pull the old card when, you're, uh, when you mix up announcements like that. Just tell people you're old. So I'm old. I don't know how to work the electronic thing. And I didn't get a reminder. I don't know what happened there. But back in that scenario, when we were closing, we had a Christian bookstore in Ottawa. When we were closing it, it just was the darkest night. We had great hopes we were going to be able to pay off our debts. We were going to be able just to walk out of there clean and not owe anybody, uh, not owe any of our friends money. And the one day we realized we had sold in one day $100,000 worth of merchandise at 90% off, made $10,000. Our store was empty, and we had no way to pay the rest of the debt. And my heart sank because God had provided miraculously for us to be able to pay off about $250,000, and now we're stuck with like 50000 no way to pay it. And it really was, right, honey? It was a dark night of the soul for both of us. And it's like, God, we've trusted you completely for the last four months that you had this plan and the plans work so well. And now we're at this point where we recognize we're stuck. We don't have $50,000 to pay this off. And you promised. I know you promised. I know you were here. So little by little, things began to happen. We began to sell, hey, this moves, 20 bucks. 
We sold everything. I sold fire extinguishers. I sold carpets. I sold anything. I didn't sell any of my children. I can't. They're married. I wouldn't anyway. That was a sick joke. But uh, anything that would move. I I sold the coffee bar. I sold chairs. I, I sold anything. And eventually we got that debt whittled down, whittled down, whittled down. But for any of you that have small business, our government makes it incredibly complicated. Bless them. But we have HST receivables, payables. This comes in. If we sell this over here, we have to pay this. So we were all wrapping it up, and it looked like at the very end of all of this, we were still, Linda and I were still going to be uh, stuck about $8,000. Now, the backdrop to that is that we are an incorporated company. We could have said, screw you, walked out the door, and everybody would have just been left hanging. But instead, God provided a way where a company provided us product on consignment to sell to pay off our debt. My son still moves me. He said, Dad, you're the only people I know that would work to pay off a debt. But we'd gotten all there but eight or $9,000. And we had paid off like 300000 Incredible story. But we're stuck. We're moving toward the last day, February 15th. How many years ago was that, honey? Three years ago? Two years ago. There we go. Life flies when you're old. <laughs> Right, Nancy? (laughs) So we're moving up toward our store closing. It's February the 15th. It's a long weekend in May. One Way Ministries, where where I'm working, CHRI Radio, some of the staff, some of the people from Love Ottawa, some of the the former staff, the volunteers. Everybody's in the store. There's about 300 people there. There's this absolutely crazy, crazy blizzard going on. And the store is packed full of people. And we're worshiping God and thanking God. And my heart at the very end of this was I honestly wanted to be able to say, he gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That was all I knew of my life. I had only ever done Christian retailing. Nothing else. I'd worked a bit in churches, but it was Doug. It was who I was. And it was all ending. And I wanted to be able to honestly raise my hands and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. So together with our staff and our volunteers, we all linked arms rather spontaneously. And we sang, he gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It was beautiful. And as it was ending, there was 15 minutes left. Some of the churches and people had donated about 1,000 cookies. So we dove into all these incredible cookies that were all where the counter was where we used to have a cash register. Snow was blowing like crazy. And I'm thinking, man, we got to get out of here soon. When a woman walks in with this brown hood over her head like this, and she's walking down like this, she walks up to one of the sweet little ladies that's serving cookies, and she says, I'd like to donate $1,700 to the store, but I don't want anybody to know I'm doing this. Now, let me tell you, in 33 years of business, we've never had anybody donate. We've had people steal. <laughs> Lots of people steal, but nobody gives. So this woman comes up and she said, and I don't want anybody to t- I don't want you to tell anybody that I'm doing this. She hands the person seventeen hundred dollars. It was on Visa. So if you think it's an angel, then maybe they have Visa cards, I don't know. But she hands the woman seventeen hundred dollar visa, walks back out the door into the snow. I never saw her face, I saw the back of her brown hood. And then I heard, Hey, that person just came in and donated seventeen hundred dollars. Our neighbor, who's also our bookkeeper, is the most inquisitive person you've ever met in the world. I won't call her Gladys Kravitz, but I sometimes have done that in the past, if you know the program Bewitched. I love her, but she was our bookkeeper, and she was so intrigued by this scenario that she went home, and she tried to figure out every HST receivable, every payable. This is our last day. We were closing our doors at 1 o'clock. This woman walked in with 15 minutes left. 
And within $35, our debt was completely covered with 15 minutes left to the store open. Do you remember that dark night of the soul we had where there's no way out? I don't know how God did it. But I honestly can tell you, and it's verified, every debt was covered when the store closed. There's nobody there that we have to look at in shame and say, I'm sorry, I couldn't pay you. Everything's been forgiven. There was a little bit residual stuff that they said, no, 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 that's covered, that's covered. And the rest of it, the debt was covered. See, the interesting part about that scenario, and I had no plans on sharing that this morning, is that was the end of the Doug I knew. But what God has done in my life now has transformed me. I'm out of the boat. I'm out of what I knew. And I'm into waters that I don't know. But trusting Jesus is the most life-changing, incredible. He's love. He knows what he's doing. Honestly, Linda and I will say that for the last two and a half years, it's been the best journey of our lives. The unknown, I don't control it. I don't even pretend to control it. But I know who does. And my encouragement to you today, to me as well, is not to brag about a story. It had nothing to do with it. But to brag on a God who, when we're in the depths of our darkest moments, when we call out to him, he comes. And he grabs onto us and brings us into safety and brings us to a place that, in spite of all we've been through, we can worship him and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. That is Jesus. That is our Jesus, the one who loves us. And I know that some of you, like me, there have been times when you've really cried out to Jesus, and it seems like he's not there. Sometimes I've needed other people to cry out with me. Sometimes I've just needed to persist. But I promise you, he's not stuck over here unaware of what you're doing. (laughs) He's not thinking, oh, I wonder where the disciples went. They should be on the other shore. He's fully aware he's God. He's here. He's near now. He's near you. He's near me. He's not far. Take courage. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Jesus, I'm not sure where we're all at right now. But I thank you for this word of encouragement and faith that wherever we are at, even if we're in the peak of the darkest moments, even if we're at that three o'clock stage where it just seems, can it get any darker? Can it get any worse? We don't see any way out. We don't see anything. We don't even see you. I thank you that that doesn't alarm you, but you really want us to, to go through this period of time that somehow in the end we will look back and see Wow, God was in that, even when I didn't know he was there. May each circumstance we go through be a learning moment where we can see and know and and just sense that you are in it. You've brought me into this for some reason, for some purpose. You are not against me. You are for me. And so, Lord, let each moment be a teaching moment where we understand just the heart of what you want for me and for us. Thank you, Lord, that I can't control, we can't control. 
And it's fearful to let go of what we think we do have when we think we have control. Thank you that it's frightening to be out of the safety of a boat and all that we know. But thank you that when we're in the water, you, you grab us, you hold on to us and lead us to safety. Thank you for your love, tangible love, physical love, mental, emotional, spiritual. You are love. You love every part of me, of us. Thank you that you just say to us, call out to me. Call out to me and I will come. You're not far away. You love it when we call out to you. You love us. And Father, I pray that in each one of these circumstances that we go through, that we too, like the disciples, will be able to see you when the time's clear and we get through it and be able to honestly just cry out and worship you and say, truly, you are who you say you are. And that our trust and our faith grows and grows and grows as we go through more and more of these trials and circumstances. You're not against us. You're for us and you love us. So thank you for the life of Peter. Thank you for your word. It's living. It's true. It's active. It's real. It encourages us. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here today. And I pray that we'll be blessed. Enjoy this weekend. Thank you for this time of the year. And just for the encouragement it is to be together and to hear your word as you speak to us. So pray your blessing on us all now. Through Jesus, amen.